we are fond of, of making distinctions, are we not? We're, we're fond of, of finding divisions and, and, and making pretty ready distinctions on groups. I mean, we have, we have competitions where you can find the most beautiful in a group. You know, you could be the, uh, you could be Miss America, you could be Miss Universe, you could make it on the, the, the top list of 100 most handsome men or most beautiful women. But at the same time, we're an equal opportunity lender, so we have competitions for the, for the ugliest dog. We have all of these things where we try and make distinctions, but one of those things that we naturally find ourselves making distinctions in, making divisions in, is in the realm of money. We readily recognize those who aren't wearing the latest in fashion, those who don't drive the trendiest cars, and those whose cars put off the most emission, right? We make ready divisions in terms of finance. And James has a lot to say about how faith is met out in the areas of life. And he has three areas in particular where he talks about our finances. And today we're going to look at the first of those in James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. You know, as we think in terms of finances... If you're to go and to, to Google richest people in the world, likely one of the first couple of things to return on that would be the Forbes list of billionaires. This is a list of almost 1,200 individuals ranking all the way from someone with a net worth of $72 billion to the paltry sum with a lot of people are tied at of having a mere $1 billion. And so we see these people on this list, and the thought that, that occurs to me anyway is, for a lot of them, when you read their bios and, and how they were brought up, the guy that's number one on the list was the son of a railway worker who was a gopher in, a, in an upholstery shop and then began making clothing in his living room and has spun it into a $72 billion industry. I mean, it is amazing the things that, that people can do when they put their minds to it. But man, then you, you, you enter a different query and you start looking for, well, if we have a list of the richest, who is the poorest person? Well, you're probably not going to find the poorest person because we find a lot of people at the level of the bottom together. And you start thinking of countries in terms of what countries are the poorest. And so you start finding such destinations for your next vacation as Eritrea, Sierra Leone, our neighbor to the south, Haiti where 80% of the people in Haiti make less than $2 a day. And then when you look at the population again, 50% of their population makes less than $1 a day. See, we see evidence of, of people at extreme wealth. I mean, $1 billion is, is an extreme amount of money when you compound that 70 72 times. It's unfathomable how much money that is. But then when we think of someone that, that works for an entire day, can't even afford a drink uh, at Starbucks, which there's probably a lot of people that can't afford a drink at Starbucks after a day's work. But James here offers us what is the proper perspective on money. So let me read for us James 1, verses 9 through 11. James writes, and he says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. 
Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. You see, James comes into this, this church setting and he puts in the middle of this lengthy discussion on surf, suffering three verses on money. You'll remember James opened up and he began this discourse on suffering. Boom, he hits 1, 9 through 11. He offers three verses on money and then he picks it up again in verse 12. And he says a word about being blessed under suffering and blessed under endurance. But when he comes into this, he splits the group in two. He says, guys, you're, you're readily aware of this. We have some in the group who are poor. They're bereft of income. They don't have a whole lot coming their way. And then we have others in the group that are affluent. Let's just call them rich. Now, your translation might say brother of humble means. It might say lowly, or it might just come out and, and say the word that everybody loves to have referred to themselves as, as poor people. You see, as much in our day as it's, as it's pretty evident that we make distinctions according to somebody's monetary worth, even more so in the first century, when one of the ways you made a name for yourself was by uh, spending money to have something done in your name, spending money to have a street port, spending money to have uh, a statue erected. It's the modern-day equivalent of giving money to a museum or, or having a park erected in your name. But status in the community was key for these people, was so key for them. So James starts off and he says, let's talk about the poor guy, let's talk about this lowly brother. So who is he? He's the one that people look at and they say, man, his tunic is getting a little thin in all the wrong places. He's the one whose, whose sandals always fall off. He's the one that's always sitting around the corner because he doesn't have anywhere to go. He's the, he's the poor guy. But it's interesting, is it not, that James's word to the one who is poor is that he should do what? He should boast. Now maybe you, you read that and you say, well, I'm certainly there's some nuanced meaning that James offers to them that they're supposed to do. And so it's this tongue-in-cheek boasting. Maybe it's this idea that they're not really supposed to boast. They're just supposed to be more content. And so he might be driving at the same idea that Paul had in Philippians of being content in whatever circumstance he finds himself in. Well, if that's the opinion that you're led to, I have bad news for you today. Because what James is telling them is to boast. To be prideful about this. To, to, if we want to put it crassly, we'll say to brag. To get up on a soapbox and yell, what up? I'm poor. Now, are they supposed to brag about the fact that they don't have any money? No. That's just silly. Who would want to stand up on a soapbox and be like, you could steal everything from me and still you'd have nothing. All the muggers are walking by and they're like, not it. Who's next? Where's that guy with the 72 billion? How much of that do you carry on you at any one given time? Right? And so they're not supposed to boast in the fact that they don't have anything. But they're supposed to boast in their, in their what? In their exaltation. Now this is, this is a radically different thing that he offers to those who don't have anything. I mean, what their community, what everything about them tells them is that... <laughs> They just need to hang out in the shadows. They don't need to be too proud because there's not much in their life that they should be bragging about. So James offers them a word that flies in the face of their life experience. They're used to being judged. They're used to being looked down upon. They're used to not being considered. 
But James comes to them and he says, boast in your exaltation. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. So the question becomes, what is James talking about? You see, for the poor person, there's not much that they've been able to do in life. This is the type of guy that when you invite him out to eat, all he's bringing to the equation is an appetite. There's not much that they can contribute in society. There's not much they can contribute when the church begins to collect tithes. This is the guy that you're a little bit worried about making a counter because he doesn't have anything in the plate. This guy doesn't have anything. But in salvation, he readily realizes you see, it's not a difficult thing for him in salvation, for him to readily realize that even in salvation, he doesn't bring anything to the equation. Part of this whole guy's life, this whole person's life, is understanding that they don't contribute, that they don't have anything to offer, that they are poor. Their whole life is being spent this way when, when people look for someone to do something. They don't ever go to the poor person. This person's not used to being asked to do things, certainly not used to being told that they should boast in anything. And so it's this ridiculous word to them that they are told to boast in the fact that they have been lifted high. You see, this person boasts not in the fact that they accomplished something, but they're boasting in the fact that God has accomplished salvation in their lives. See, when this person was extended faith, when this person was extended the right to believe in Jesus' name, they readily accepted it, realizing that they couldn't offer anything to God because they were so accustomed to not being able to offer anything in any avenue of their lives. This wasn't a concept that was lost on them. This wasn't a concept that they didn't understand at such a deep level. You see, the poor person is to boast in the fact that God came in and he took them in their poverty and bestowed riches on them beyond measure. That God in their poverty, in their inability to overcome sin, bestowed on them the right to be called children of God. That God came in and took them in their inability to overcome their station in life and raised them to be a brother of Christ. Do you catch the weight of what's going on here? The weight of what James communicates to the poor? You see, some of us in our lives, we have these, these things that go on about us. Maybe you've never come to faith, and you think about yourself, and you think, I have this in, in, inability, I'm, I'm not articulate, I have, I have a lack of concentration, or I have whatever, and you consider it to be a disability, you consider it to be a liability. You see, for you, you find yourself in the, in the way of the poor person, and you realize that there is nothing you can bring to the equation in salvation. And so for you, salvation is all grace. For you, you don't have a hard time understanding that, that you can't affect change on your own. And you accept the free gift of faith with, with hands wide open. Asking God to affect change in your life. Because you're not under the delusion that you can bring about change on your own. But when we come to the rich person, man, it's a radically different animal altogether. You see, the rich person in James's day, like the rich person in our day, is treasured. I mean, this is the person who 
it's, it's sought out for business advice. We know this person is a Christian because you flip over to four, chapter 4, verse 13 through 16, and we read about the rich person who says in their heart, I'm going to go to such and such a town and spend a year there or more in trade and make money. This is a person who's in enterprise. This is a person who's in the marketplace. This is the guy who has a statue built in his name. This is a guy you go to when you need an improvement made in the city. This is a guy that the poor people know his route home. Because they're standing over here on, you know, on the corner of 5th and 7th, and they're saying, ho Here comes Mr. 72 billion. What up, man? Slow the bins down. Give me some money. This is the guy that everybody his whole life has told him, man, you've really done something with your life. You've really overcome so many obstacles. I mean, when everybody else in this economy isn't doing well, you, you just money seems to come out for you. How do you find success? And so maybe this person gets credited with making very wise decisions. Or maybe this person gets credited for just having money in the right place at the right time. Or maybe this person gets credited with just having an overwhelming drive and ability to work hard in the spite of difficult circumstance. You know, maybe this person is like the, the billionaire who worked as a gopher and, and then started making clothes in his living room and then later on made it onto the, the top 50 list of billionaires in the world. But this person, by the sweat of their brow, by, by enterprise, by hard work, has become accustomed to being bragged on, cherished in the community. And so it's, it's a paradox of sorts. Both of these Christians in two given decidedly different courses of action. Verse 10 says, in the rich, in his humiliation. In the rich, in his humiliation. Hmm. Because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. You see the rich person their whole life. They've gone through being able to overcome obstacles. They've overcome being able to manipulate situations. They, they've overcome things that for the poor person wouldn't have been an option. They're the person with all the answers. So when they come into salvation, they, like Paul, have to see all the assets that they have in life. Both those, both those things that are inborn and those things that are in their bank account as liabilities in the face of salvation. So the word that James gives them isn't, hey, rich person, boast in the fact that people in your community love you. Hey, rich person, boast in the fact that you are highly cherished among men. No, it is boast in your humiliation. James is calling them to a steady reflection of salvation. The, fact, the fact that for the poor person, when they came into salvation... They realized, because it was so evident in every other facet of their life, that they brought nothing to the equation. But for the rich person, when they came into salvation, they have all of these problems stacked up against them. You'll remember in Mark chapter 10 that Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler. You'll remember the account, the guy comes in, he tells Jesus, he says, tell me, I mean, what do, what do I need to do, Jesus? How can I follow you? 
Jesus runs through the, the, the Big Ten, and the guy's like, got it, got it, got it. And Jesus says, man, that's, that's fantastic. Take everything you have, give it to the poor, come and follow me. And what's the guy's response? He says, I can't do it. The text tells us that he went away with a heavy heart because he had a lot of money. He had a, a great deal of wealth. And so then Jesus offers this commentary on that. Jesus talks about how difficult it is for the rich. In verse 23, he says, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And then he goes on and he says that it is easier for, it is, it is children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. You see, it's an impossibility. He's not talking about some small gate on the outskirts of the city where the camel, by through some process of contortion and leg chopping, is able to be slid in on its belly. He's talking about a camel through the eye of a needle, through a sewing needle. It's an impossibility. Jesus follows it up and he says, it's impossible for man to enter into the kingdom of God, but with, through God, all things are possible. You see, we see another reflection of the difficulties of the rich in Revelation when John is writing to the church in Laodicea. And he says in verse 17, he says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. See, I submit to you that until the rich person realizes that they are wretched, that they are poor, that they are pitiable, that they bring, like the poor person, nothing in to the equation. There's no salvation for them. And so what James calls them to, and what you and I are called to today, is to recognize the humiliation we faced in accepting the gospel. That when we realized there was nothing good that we brought into the occasion, but equation but that God alone is good and that he offers us salvation but because of the difficulties of riches James calls them to readily remember the fact that they faced humiliation in the face of the gospel they faced humiliation in recognizing all of their assets all of their wealth as a liability to be discarded for the sake of the gospel now, recognizing the, the dangers of wealth, James spends a great deal more time talking about wealth. He says that, that like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. This life is but a fleeting moment. This life is transitory. This life is passing away. And, and the rich man that's not readily recognizing his humiliation and boasting in the fact that he brought nothing in, boasting in the fact of God being even able to save one as himself, he misses it. If he's not boasting on that, then he misses it. He's like a, a wildflower that, that pops up for a season and is beautiful. But in verse 11, we read about the wind that comes along. This hot wind or hot sun that comes along and it blows on the, on the flower with its scorching heat and it withers the grass and its flower falls and its beauty perishes. And then he's got this word. He says, so also will be the rich man who dies in the midst of his pursuits. 
You see, this isn't just heaping up more condemnation or heaping up more warning against the rich man. But this is also to the poor person. This is also to the poor person who looks at the rich and says, Man, if I only made $5,000 more a year, life would be so much better. If, if, if I only made 50 cents more an hour, life would be so much easier. You see, there's always this next level, the next, this next threshold that we think if we could just attain to that level, that we would be more comfortable, that we would be more at peace. But what James calls us to is to a right recognition that all of these things, all of this pursuit of monetary wealth is nothing but a distraction in the face of accepting the gospel. And when we reflect on the gospel, when we look to accepting Jesus, that we can't accept him lest we as the poor person recognize that we bring nothing to the equation. We as the rich person consider like Paul all the, li- all the assets that we have in our life, all the strengths that we have in our life to be liabilities and humbly proclaim Jesus is Lord and push away all these other things. But you see, we also see ourselves, maybe you say, well, I'm not, I'm not rich. I'm never going to make the Forbes list, but man, I'm also not poor. I find myself somewhere in the middle. And, and I really feel like I've done a good job of mastering money. You see, for you, you find yourself in the middle of this. But the temptation is, to allow the things in your life, those things that you have a natural tendency towards, maybe you're very outgoing, maybe you're just very given to acts of service, and so you begin to think on those things. You begin to think of the positive attributes that you have in life and allow those things to be the things that you pride yourself in, those things to be the things that you boast in. When the word from James is, all of these things you have in your life are a gift from God. All of the good things you have in your life the ability to reach out and and have people just embrace you, the ability to welcome people, the ability to do acts of service, the ability to work on someone's house, all of this gifting and skill and everything you have is a gift from God. Don't pride yourself in those things. Pride yourself in the face of the gospel. You see, James offers us here in verses 9 through 11 how to have a proper perspective on the gospel. To the poor person, it's recognizing that God did a tremendous work in them despite of their difficulties. To the rich, it's that God did a tremendous work in them despite of all the good things they had going in their life. And to all of you and I in this sanctuary together, it is that God did a great work in us despite all the good that we're led to believe that we can accomplish on our own. Friends, as we enter into this time of contemplation, as we enter into this time of application, I ask you to think on these things. What liabilities has God saved you in spite of? What abilities are you tempted to put faith in? Maybe it's not finances, but what talents or abilities are you tempted to put faith in and tempted to to pride yourself and to boast in? And then lastly, how can you respond to God with your finances? If money is the thing that that tends to hang us up, it tends to catch us, how should we be responding to God with our finances? Let me pray for us.